we're doing a series, a simple series, a practical series about relationship with the Lord. And I'm trying to talk about just different aspects of our relationship with God and how to do the thing and help it be successful. Last week, I stressed that regardless of how we feel, we are forever in union with the Lord. And our goal then is not to try to get into union with God, it's just try to, to try to remove whatever hinders us from believing that God already lives in us and we're already fully connected to Him. Today I want to try to balance that truth a little bit, and I apologize that my printer broke at the last minute last night, and that's why you don't have the notes. Uh, the notes will be on the internet later, but I have two copies, and I gave one to Sean, and I kept one because I thought it was good for me to have one, but... There are always two ditches on the either side of any truth. Truth, really, it's like a guitar string. It, it makes beautiful music when there's tension on either side of the string. Does that make sense? And so you've got you've to balance one part of the equation with the other all the time. And that's one of the most difficult things to do in the Christian life. And what I'm going to show you today is that the teaching that uh, we already have everything in Christ, we just need to believe that we have it, it's absolutely true. It has the unintended side effect sometimes of creating situations where people are unwilling or unable to be honest if they're having a problem. And I just know this from experience because I, I worked for a ministry that emphasized that truth and people would call in sometimes, not all the time because Andrew would teach against this, but they would call in and, and I would say, what, would you, what do you want me to pray about? And it was like pulling teeth to try to get them to tell me what the problem was. And it was because they had this theology, which was a good theology, that that there isn't a problem because I'm already united with the Lord and I already have everything that I need, which is true. But if it leads you to a place, I mean, you called me. You got to give me something so I can pray with, with you. You got to tell me a little bit about the problem. Okay, so... Um, one ditch in life is when we are so consumed with our emotions and how we feel in a temporal, subjective sense that we ignore the ultimate truth that God loves us and God is for us. Everybody understand that ditch? You can very easily get wrapped up in subjective experience to the point that you, you, you don't even, aren't even touched by the fact that Jesus died for you. I'll explain further because you're just staring at me. You, you, ever been in, you ever been in church or something and you're so consumed with some temporary problem that you're singing about how much Jesus loves you and he died for you and it doesn't affect you at all? Okay, we've all done stuff like that, right? What, what, that's, that's being in one ditch where my subjective experience is so consuming me that I can't I can't connect with the ultimate truth that God loves me and God's for me. We've all been there. There's another ditch, though, which is that I'm, I'm so focused on these eternal truths that I'm unwilling to admit 
I've got any kind of subjective problem in my emotions or in my, my temporary surroundings. Both of those are ditches. And you want to stay out of, of both of them. And so what I want to talk to you today about is this simple thing about overcoming discouragement. Because, look, I know God lives in me, so I'm supposed to have joy all the time. I taught that last week. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. Well, I'm in God's presence. As Ephesians 2.6 says that I am. But I don't always feel that way, and sometimes I feel discouraged. Can anybody... Beyond, I don't, I'm not supposed to admit that as a pastor, but sometimes I, as a pastor, feel discouraged. And what do, you, what do you do about that in the context of your relationship with God? Because, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that when I'm discouraged, it harms my relationship with the Lord. Or at least it has until I've, I've figured out something. So I realized something just about my own personal theology. Maybe nobody else is in this boat, but I think probably... Some of you may be, so I'm going to explain it to help you. But I, for a lot of years, have understood that the Scripture teaches when you sin or when you fail, when you do something wrong, you need to run immediately back to the Lord. Because He's not mad at you. He's not going to chew you out. He's not going to shame you. What He's going to do is help you overcome the problem. When you start to run to God, when you have a problem or when you've sinned, that's when maturity starts to happen because you quit trying to put yourself back at ground zero and start over every time you screw something up. That's a big deal. Hebrews 4.16 says that we should come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in the time of need. So for years now, when I mess something up, I have trained myself. You have to train yourself a little bit because the natural inclination is to do like Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they went and hid. That's the natural inclination. When you screw something up, your, your natural mindset is, I've got to run from God, I've got to hide myself, I've got to sow some fig leaves and cover up my sin. To become mature, you've got to realize, no, I've got to expose my sin to God. I've got to run out there, God, hey, help me out here. And the thing that allows you to do that is when you realize He's good and He's never going to condemn you and He's never going to beat you up and He's not going to shame you and He's not going to criticize you. He's just going to help. So thank God for that truth. But I'm going to tell you something that I, I needed to fix in my own theology, which was that though I, was, I, had, I had theology that gave me space to run to God when I screwed something up, I didn't have space to run to God when I was discouraged. Because my theology basically did not allow me to be discouraged. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Okay? And, and this, <laughs> the scripture says, and in, in, let's just go read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Everybody say, the God of all comfort. And it says, He comforts us in our tribulation. Now, why does He do that? That you might be able to comfort them which are in, in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. 
Now, I've known that verse for a long time. I used to quote it to people all the time when they'd call and ask for prayer. But I thought the main way that God comforted me was by saying, suck it up and believe the word. Is that, is that real? Now listen, are there times that you need to hear, suck it up and believe the word? There absolutely are. But there are other times when you need to be comforted in an emotional way. If you have kids, you, you know that one of the hardest things to figure out is, you know, if they hurt themselves. Your first, your first thing is you, you run over there and you're, you comfort them, right? You hold them, you say it's going to be all right. But have you ever noticed that sometimes kids will milk it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you ever noticed sometimes adults will do that? Oh, yeah. So, so, so where's, where's, the, where's the line? Because, because it's hard. Because you want to comfort, but at some point you've got to say, okay, now, now we're done with the comforting. <laughs> Now, now we're going to get over it. Is that right? Yeah. And you, sometimes you have to teach your kids, okay, now is the time to get over it. Yeah. At least mine. And I know that sometimes the Lord has had to teach me, okay, now it's time for you to get over that. Okay, but what, what I want you to see, though, is that in our zeal to, to teach the truth, that sometimes we've got to just get over stuff, Sometimes we miss this simple truth that sometimes there's hard stuff in life that's discouraging and emotional and God's not mad at you for having a bad day. So Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For God's anger endures for but a moment, and His favor is life. Notice the last part of the verse. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Anybody see that? So is, is weeping where we live? No, it's not. It, discouragement is not the natural state for a Christian. And joy is always on the way. But in our zeal to, to preach that joy is coming in the morning, I think sometimes we remove all space for people to have a night of weeping. And I'm, I'm just being real with you. Sometimes weeping does endure for a night, for a season. There are really difficult things that people go through in life that are hard, painful. We lose people. We uh, have people betray us. Um, you know, just, just really discouraging things happen sometimes. And sometimes there's just a season where you're going through that. And what I've learned is you, you can run to God in that season just in the same way that you can run when you've screwed something up. Amen. And see, this, 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 the thing that kept me from running to God when I sinned was the fear that He would be mad and judge me. The thing that kept me from running to God when I was discouraged was, was basically the same thing, that He would be disappointed in me and that would, He would just not, to, not have zero tolerance for me having an emotional low. 
But I don't believe the Scripture teaches that. It says, it says that He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. It says we have not a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. So God does not sanction endless pity parties. He doesn't. But at the same time, He doesn't, he doesn't uh, just have no grace for you if you're having a hard time. And so you can run to God and you can be honest about what you're going through. David did this. And I used to read these psalms and I just thought, well, David didn't know what he was doing. (laughs) That's pretty bad. (laughs) I thought, well, David didn't have any faith, you know. Look at Psalm 142. Do you know that you're supposed to talk to your problem about the Lord? You know, the Scripture teaches that. It's supposed to speak to the mountain about your God. You know that David did that. When he ran towards Goliath, he said to Goliath, you come against me with with, sticks and whatever, but I come against you in the name of the armies of the living God. You're You're an uncircumcised person. You're out of covenant with the Lord. But I have a relationship with God. My God's going to deliver me to you. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed you to the birds. David knew how to talk some smack. In faith. Right? He talked, he, he talked to, the, to the giant about his God. Should you do that? Absolutely. But here's what I intuited from that. That you can't ever talk to God about your problems. I really kind of thought that. Now, look, I'm not saying you talk to God about your problems in an accusatory fashion because God's not the problem. So I never go to God and say, God, why have you done this to me? But you can do what David did. Let's, Let's read this. David says this. Now, he wrote this when he's in the cave, the cave of Adullam. You don't know this story, David... He was doing, you know, he was just on the backside of, of the mountain, raising some sheep, minding his own business, loving Jesus. And the trouble is, if you love Jesus and you're hiding on the backside of the mountain, it's not going to be too long before you're in a place of leadership because that tends to qualify you. And God, God finds worshipers on the backside of, of the desert and he he puts them in places of authority, sometimes that they don't even necessarily want to be there. And, and so David, he gets anointed king. But he doesn't even, he, he doesn't have ambition to be king. He's just trying to love on Jesus and, the, and with the sheep, you know. And so he doesn't really act on it. Uh, but he goes and serves Saul, and he loves Saul. He really does. And he loves Saul's son, Jonathan, and they're best friends. And David is perfectly happy to serve in the house there and, and and, and play the flute and everything, or play the harp or whatever it was he played. And, and uh, you know, he was going to get to marry the king's son, or the king's daughter. And he loved her. And it was really amazing. But then Saul went nuts. And everything that David had was taken from him, and he had to go live in a cave. They took his fiancée, she married somebody else. He went and lived in this in this. Cave with a bunch of like thieves and crazy people. 
That's what the Bible says. All the ruffians, all the, all the dregs of society came and gathered themselves to David. You know none of them people bathed and they all lived in a cave together and Saul was trying to kill him. I mean, it was depressing. It was. It was a, it was a discouraging season. And you know what David did? He said this, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And with my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I'll be honest, I, for a long time, I had no space in my theology to do that. But David said, I poured out my complaint before him, and I showed before him my trouble. I revealed my discouragement to the Lord in the same way you reveal your sin. I showed it to him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way wherein you walked, they have privately laid a snare for me. I looked at my right hand and beheld, and there was no man who would know me. Refuge failed me, and no one cared for my soul. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares. I guess I'll go eat worms. I cried unto the Lord, and I said, You are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I am. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall compass me about, and shall deal bountifully with me. So I want you to notice, David did not accuse God of doing evil or forsaking him. Right? But he was honest with God about the fact that he was struggling in his emotions. Now, he affirmed the ultimate reality, which is that God's my refuge. God's going to deliver me. How many of you know that's the ultimate reality? But he was real with God about what he was going through and his subjective emotions. So, I don't believe it's healthy to spend all day, every day, complaining to God about your situation. There is like a, there's a, a seductive romance almost to negative emotions. If you've ever been in a lot of depression or discouragement, it, it, it's almost like an addiction in a sense. Yeah. And so you have to be careful not to just fall into that, to that cycle. But it's also unhealthy to ignore discouragement and never acknowledge that you're having a hard time. If you don't run to the Lord for comfort, you'll end up running somewhere else. You will. You'll run to some other person. You'll run to food. You'll run to Netflix. You'll run to some escapist thing. And it's better to just run to the Lord. So it's okay to pray something like this. Father, I know that you're good and that you never leave me, but right now you feel far away. Now look, I know that God's not far away. I just, I'm the guy that just taught that, right? You can't get any closer to God. I just, I just spent a whole sermon teaching that, but sometimes you, He can feel far away. And it's better to just acknowledge that it feels that way and to say, I feel discouraged and confused. I'm really struggling with blank situation. It's okay to pray that. And you can even pray, it seems like you've let me down here, even though I know that you haven't. Help me see what's really going on and hear your voice. There's a kind of religion that, that's not legalism. It's the, it's, the, it's the faith religion. And I love faith teaching. I'm a faith teacher. But the, but the faith religion is when you're just 
you just won't be honest about what's going on in your life. Okay, everybody all right? <laughs> on the back page, let's, let's look at one other point here. Uh, I, it doesn't affect you. You don't have the notes. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'll turn to the back page. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 15 says this. So you can, you can, just like David, you can pour out your complaint before the Lord, but you don't stay there. Because Hebrews 13, 15 says this, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Let us, let us praise God in a sacrificial way. How do you worship God in a sacrificial way? You, you worship when you don't feel like it. Amen. That's when it's a sacrifice. It's easy to worship when everything in your life is going good. When things are going bad and you feel discouraged, that's when you have an opportunity to worship as a sacrifice. And the amazing thing to think about is, in this life is the only opportunity that you'll have to do that. Because in heaven, there's nothing bad that's going to happen. So you're never going to have the opportunity to offer that sacrifice to the Lord. So worshiping the Lord in the midst of our problems is, a, is an opportunity to take something painful in our hearts and offer it up on the altar, and it releases a, a pleasing aroma into heaven. Okay, so what are, really quickly, seven simple things you can do when you're discouraged. Okay, you can write these down if you want to. Practical advice, I'm just trying to be real with you. What should you do if you're discouraged? Anybody ever been discouraged? Raise your hand, be honest. Okay, don't, don't lie to me. Remember, if you lie at church, God will forgive you. So, <laughs> practical, practical advice. Number one, be honest with God. All right? We've already talked about that, so I won't beat the, the dead horse. Number two, worship God in the midst of the problems. We already talked about that too, so I won't stress that. So number one, be honest with the Lord. Number two, continue to worship God even though the situation seems difficult. Now, number three, look at 1 Kings 19. Molly and I have been really liking this story lately. 1 Kings 19, this is, this is Elijah right after he's had this great victory where he kills the prophets of Baal. I've seen this in my own life that you can, as a minister, there's times you can have like a really great service or you can have something really amazing happen. There's like a big high. And then, and then there's like a, a crash. Just, just being honest, the, you know, the, the Monday morning Pastor syndrome is a real thing. I've learned how to manage myself better in that. I'm not, I don't have as much difficulty with that as I used to. But, but, but there is this truth that you can, you can have, if you have a real spiritual high, a lot of times there's an emotional low that can come afterwards. Now, I don't know that it has to be that way. And I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm better at it than I used to be. because I don't think God wants you to just have a roller coaster all the time. But it's good to acknowledge that sometimes that happens. And how do you deal with that? Well, Elijah had a major spiritual high. He, he had this war with the prophets of Baal, and, and Jesus came through for him, and, 
And then he, you know, killed all those prophets. And, and he was riding high. He was feeling real good. But then in verse, verse 1 of chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now this is always one of the funniest things in the Bible because if you're going to kill somebody, the best way to do it is not to send a letter ahead of time saying I'm going to kill you at X hour. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience in that area, but my guess, my guess is that you don't want to forewarn the person. So it's unlikely that Jezebel was going to carry out this, this threat. But nevertheless, I think Elijah was probably a words of affirmation person. Because if you're a words of affirmation person and somebody sends you hate mail, it can really, I know this from personal experience, it can really throw you for a loop. And his emotions get all out of whack, and he thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And so what did he do? He rose and went for his life. He ran away. Now he just, he just fearlessly opposed Ahab and all these prophets. And some lady writes him, you know, one line, and he panics. Why? Well, probably because he, he, he was tired, and he came down off this emotional high. And, and the devil will attack you that when you're low yeah. because he doesn't care and he's a jerk. And so, so where, where am I at? All right, verse 4. He himself went a day's... Uh, oh, go back up. So he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I love the Bible because it just is so honest, all right? So here's this guy, he's a spiritual giant, he's, he's done so much, and, and you know what? He, he's having a bad day and he goes and sits down under the tree. This lady wrote him a letter and he thought, You know what? I'm about to die. I'm not better than my father's. I haven't accomplished anything. Nothing I do matters. I'm a nobody. That's how he feels. Now, are any of those things true? Obviously not. Thousands of years later, we're reading about Elijah. We think he's such a great person. But Elijah felt like a loser. That, I mean, that's, that's real. He felt, he felt like a loser. And this is, this is how he felt. And then and notice, notice what happens. And then he just goes to sleep. And as he laid down under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on some coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he ate and drank, and he laid down and he went back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord rose him a second time and said, Arise and eat again. So then he ate some more food. Okay, what's this tell you? It's, it tells you that you are not just a spiritual being. But he nod at me. Okay, you, you, you're not just, you live in a body. And Elijah, it appears to me, wore himself out fighting with these prophets of Baal. 
And he's weary, and he's like, I need to take a nap. And then he took a nap, and then he ate some cake. Praise Jesus. You know what? You probably might need a nap and some cake sometimes in your life. Sometimes you're looking for a sign from heaven, and God's like, look, just take a nap and eat something. You'll feel better. I know I personally, I mean, for real, like, like I have th- three little kids, and the one, the one still don't sleep. She's 18 months old. God help us. And it's been like five years since I've slept. And so, so do you know, there, there are times when I'm, I'm just tired, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not better than my father's. I ought to just quit. I'm, oh, oh, God. I'm going to die, God. Everything's terrible. And you know what? I don't have faith for nothing. That's how I feel. But then sometimes I'll, I'll get a good night's sleep and I'll drink coffee. And I'm like, where is a dead person? I will go pray for them. I'm full of faith. I'm telling you, you're more than just... You gotta, what, what do you do if you're discouraged? Number one, be honest with God. Number two, <laughs> look at your notes. Number two, worship God in the midst of the problems. But number three, take care of yourself physically. Amen. It really does matter. My pastor, uh, Pastor Lawson Purdue, he, he's an amazing pastor, and he told me this story. He, he was however many years into pastoring, and he got, he got depressed. He got discouraged. And uh, he called his friend and he said, I don't understand what's going on. My church is doing good. My family's doing good. My marriage is doing good. He had a cattle business on the side. He was making money. There's literally nothing wrong with my life. I mean, there's problems. You know, I mean, if you pastor, there's, there's problems. Okay, <laughs> there's things to deal with. But he's like, but I don't, why am I discouraged? And, and his friend said to him, well, are you running? Because he knew my pastor was a runner. And he usually runs 20, 25 miles a week. And he's like, well, you know, I haven't been running. And he's like, well, maybe you ought to get back to it. And so he started running again. And you know what? He, suddenly he was full of faith again. Now, that's not always the problem. But sometimes that's, sometimes that's enough. Take care of yourself physically. All right? Eat some, eat some cake every now and then. If you know, it probably, I understand it wasn't actually like cake like we have. All right? It was angel food cake. But anyway. <laughs> so listen, I'm not sanctioning an all-sugar diet. That'll make, you, that'll make you not happy too. You eat some, somebody was telling me that the vegetable police at the store told them to eat more kale. But, but anyway, so... Eat some salad, eat a smoothie, you'll feel better. Okay. Number four, be honest with other people that you're close to. James 5.16 says that we confess our faults one to another that we may be healed. In the same way that you can be honest with God if you're having a hard time, you can be honest with other people. And you can say to them, look, I'm having this and this struggle. And, you know, it's not always that they're going to have some kind of profound answer, but it's just they're there with you in the problem, and, and it's honest, and, and we're being real here. 
And as you're being real, a lot of times that gives you the grace to, to overcome. Be real with God, be real with somebody else. Number six, put things back into perspective. Look at John 14. This is towards the end of Jesus' life, and he's telling everybody, his disciples, that he's going to go die and be crucified. And um, they're obviously distressed by this, as all of us would be. But Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Just an amazing statement, you know. Don't worry about it. I'm about to be crucified. It'll be the worst thing that's ever happened to you. But don't worry about it. It'll be all right. (laughs) Uh, You believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he says, look, this is a bad thing that's about to come upon you, but you don't have to stress about it because in the end, we're going to be together. It looks like we're going to be separated for this time period, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you to myself. We're going to be in in intimate union with one another. I actually think that's talking about people being born again more than going to heaven, but but the, uh, the heaven analogy makes sense. When I was a kid and I would stress out about school and stuff, my, my mom would always say, well, son, in a thousand years, you probably won't care about any of that. <laughs> Which really is good advice. It puts it in perspective. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, this is a, I understand this is a bad problem. I'm about to die. But in the grand scheme of things, this is what's... This is going to unite us forever. We're going to be together. It's going to be all right. And sometimes you have to, you have to pull back from the problem and remind yourself, okay, look, in a, in a millennia, we're going, to be, we're going to be in heaven. Well, actually, we'll be on the earth. But anyway, that's a whole eschatology. We'll, we'll be with Jesus. We'll be with Jesus. And these, these problems that consume us, they're not going to bother you that much. You probably won't even remember most of them. You know, and we agonize so much over these decisions. It's like, oh, oh God, should I get this job or that job? Should I marry this person or this? You know, I mean, it's important because you don't want to be miserable. Don't marry a crazy person. <laughs> but but even, even if you do, you're only going to be miserable for, for 50 years or something, you know? I mean, and <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, that's not that long, right? Andrew Womack always says, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you'll die and go to heaven and be with Jesus. That's not too bad. Worst thing that happens is you'll, is you'll win. So we just put things back into proper perspective. That's good to think about. You know, I think, I, I, here's, I, I preach things just to give myself therapy, but, I, you know, we don't want to take ourselves so darn seriously. You know, I mean, it's not like, it's not like God's going to fall off his throne if you, don't, if you don't get everything right in your life and do, I mean, you know, 
it's going to be okay. So I just, we need to take ourselves less seriously, me, mostly me. All right, Proverbs 17, 22, last verse says this, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Uh, other translations say, laughter does good like a medicine. So here's number seven. Find something to laugh about. If you're discouraged, you know, find something to laugh about. Because there is something. You know, go watch Jim Gaffigan on Netflix or something. He's on Amazon. Jim Gaffigan's like the funniest. I can recommend him because he doesn't cuss or nothing. He's, he, how many people watch Jim Gaffigan? A couple people. You need to get on Amazon Prime and go watch. He is so funny. Uh, that cheers me up personally. It's not spiritual, but I, he's Catholic, so, <laughs> you know, he's really funny. Find something to laugh about. Find something to be happy about. Amen? Verse 7, or not, point 7. In the end, remember that Jesus loves you when you're up, and Jesus loves you when you're down. Faith is not never being discouraged. It's not letting that define your story. We're all discouraged sometimes. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be a super saint and tell you I'm never discouraged. What I'm going to tell you is I'm refusing to let that define the overall course of my life. Amen? Amen. Is that helpful? So look, there's space to run to Jesus if you've got a problem. You need to talk to the problem about God, but it's also okay to talk to God about the problem. Not, not in an accusatory way, but in a real way, where you're, where you're honest with, with Him about what you're going through. That'll heal something in your heart if you do that. And you can submit to Him like a, like a kid would, you know, this is what I try to do now. Is I'll, I'll try to go to the Lord, and then after a while He'll say, okay, now, is the, now, now it's time to move on. Now it's time to get over that. But He will give you space. Because there's, there's a time, the scripture says, there's a time to mourn, the time to grieve. There are hard things in life, guys. I mean, there just are. And if you're in one of those seasons, I want you to know it's all right. God sees that. And there's, there's grace for you. There's space for you to grieve and mourn. And we love you in that space. And we don't believe that's the overall story of your life. We believe you're going to come out of it. We believe that, that joy comes in the morning. But if you're in the sorrow, God loves you in the sorrow, and so do we. All right, let's all stand up. If I can have my prayer team come down.